Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Startup Nightmares. Startup Nightmares is a podcast that aims to inspire those who work in the startup world to do the best work they can the best way possible while dodging some bullets doing so. Let's just be a bit more human here. All of these people started needing stuff from me. Don't feel like you're on your own because you're, you're never on your own. But I'm paying this person a good wage. Why isn't that enough? And that doesn't make me special. What is making me special is my deeper story. People need a sense of purpose to feel motivated in their job. Wake up at five in the morning and like go to the gym for an hour. Like what the fuck is that? You're sitting at your desk crying and you're like, what happened? I had no idea how to monetize anything. I was like, ah, everybody gets a title. You get a title, you get a title. Either pay me or I will sue you. All of our guests have been to the dark side of the innovation ecosystem and came back to tell their tale. You can use this. This is how you get there. It is not a secret anymore. My name is Tal Shmueli, and I will be your host. Boris Kornfeld, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Boris, you are the CTO of Get People in Western Europe, Russia, New York. Israel are familiar with the app, but they're probably not familiar with your work and your story. So this is what we're here to share today. And before we do that, I want to start off with the basic things. Who you are, what do you do, and why do you do it? I'm Boris Kornfeld, and uh, I have two positions currently in the uh, GED, CTO of GED, and also general manager of one of the business units. The B2B? Yes. I also want to say that we're extremely happy to have you here, especially that you've taken the time to come here on your birthday. Mm. Uh, this is your 45th <laughs> birthday, right? Right. As a mazal tov, we brought a little cake, just Thank in case. Thank you. Put it on the table. for you. Thank you very much. This is something that we didn't do on the show yet. <laughs> you have it. Thank you very much. So, Boris Kornfeld, 45, CTO of GET. People who are listening to the show are used to my accent, Israeli accent. And all of a sudden, there's a different accent. Yeah. So let's uh, start at the, uh, at the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in USSR, immigrated to Israel when I was 15. And we came to Israel with our big whole family because we were actually very afraid that uh, Soviet Union can actually close the borders and um, 
part of the family will stay there and part of the family here. So we decided that the whole family is actually coming to Israel. And, and that's just after the Soviet Union fell apart, right? Yes. I grew up in Tashkent. It's a capital city of Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. It's quite a big city, three million people. The story of the um, Russian migration, as it is called, of course, it covers more than just Russia, the entire former Soviet Union, is a story of about 1.5 million former Soviet Union Jewish folks who came here with their family in a space of just a few short years in the 90s. On the show, we're talking about Israel as the startup nation, but 30 years ago, when you first arrived as a 15-year-old boy, what was your reality like? What was your life like? Of course, Israel uh, looked differently. So the whole high-tech industry uh, was in its very initial uh, state, and the Israel looked differently. You know, we came here without money, without anything, and we just started everything from scratch, including... So for me, it's not a problem because I was... Uh, 15 years old, but my parents, they came the same age like I am today. And for them, it was uh, quite hard to do. You know, just uh, you, you are leaving everything you have. Property, status, status, connections, jobs, friends. And you just come to another country with completely different language. You are writing from right to left. The letters are completely different. Um, and the sound is uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. And they actually starting everything from scratch. So it's not simple. And that was 1990. A couple of years later, uh, the Gulf War broke out. My actually brother, he served in the Russian army. Your brother served in the army? Yeah. So when he Russian was, army. So when he was 20 and he came back here, it was after he already served in the army? Yeah. Got Finished it. his uh, service. And my grandmother uh, was a doctor during World War II, participated in the battles and uh, stuff like this. My grandfather as well. So we actually lived together. My parents, my brother and the grandmother, grandfather. And when uh, the war actually was going to start, we were very stressed because we are not actually used to such uh, things. So the first time I saw a weapon was in Israel. In Russia, you don't see it. We actually knocked the door of our neighbors and we asked them in English what we should do, how we should prepare for this. And they said, don't worry, we have Mossad. So six hours before the missile is actually launching, we know about this. And uh, during that night, uh, so we hear a huge boom near the city, and only after that, Syrian was... Uh, uh, no way. So the, so the, so the, the rockets from Iraq hit, and only after... Yeah, so because they didn't know to um, identify these missiles in advance. When you just arrived, you know, there was no tech bubble, there was no tech scene. How did you embark on this technological journey? As I already said, my uh, parents left everything there. And we have apartment, a luxury apartment in the center of the city. And we have a summer house and we have a car. And we have, my parents had very good uh, jobs and positions. But they did all this because they uh, believed that if we come to the country where Jews are not 
strangers and not outsiders, but the mainstream. And if we work hard and we will be good and we will be uh, educated, we can achieve what we deserve. They said, we don't want for you anything. What you deserve, you should achieve. Okay, and that's why we're here. And first thing that uh, my parents did when we waked up after a very long journey, we slept actually 24 hours wow. in sequence. Wow. Because we didn't sleep two nights before. It's a very long journey from Russia to Israel. It was classified. So we, yeah, we have uh, armed uh, people together with us. You just uh, can't take uh, money with you. Only $150 per person. That, that's all you have when you come to Israel. $150? Yeah. This wow. is what was allowed. So it was completely legal. We just uh, came to Israel via Budapest. Mm -hmm. There was some camp for immigrants and uh, from uh, uh, Budapest to Tel Aviv. And it wow. took uh, almost uh, two days. When we actually waked up, uh, my mother uh, asked my, our friends, okay, I have two boys. One is 20 years old, another is 15. So 20 years old, he already should uh, learn in some university or something similar to that. And her question was, what is your best university in Israel? And our friends answered, Technion. Okay, you go to Technion. Bye-bye. <laughs> so they, they bought a, a ticket to Technion, a bus ticket, and he went to Technion. Technion is, is, the, is the professional um, science, maths, physics university, uh, probably the best place to go if you want to be in... Engineering, yeah. Engineering. Engineering yeah. And you, 15, Rishon and, and they asked, what is the, the best high school in, in Rishon Nitzon? And they said, Gimnasia Realit. Okay. She said, let's go. And before we actually left, my mom said us, look, we actually left everything. But if you get a very good education uh, and you will have good jobs, it's worth everything. So I felt a huge responsibility on my shoulders to prove that uh, they, di they didn't left Soviet Union and uh, came to Israel for, for nothing. Before we left, actually, uh, Soviet Union, Ashkent, I visited my mom's job, my, my work, and I saw personal computer first time in my life that actually made me uh, understanding that this is a, actually the future. This is going to be the future. I feel it. And it's so cool. And uh, I felt a passion about that. And I told to myself, sometime I will work with that. And we left. And uh, when we uh, came to uh, high school, I saw one of the uh, 14 majors was computer science. And I told the principal, I want this major. And his answer was, no, you can choose anything, but not this. I asked why. He said, look, you don't know Hebrew. You, uh, you only have two and a half years to, to finish your high school. Your parents cannot buy you computer because it's very expensive. I don't see any chance how you succeed in this major. So I cannot let you go there. You will fail. I met a guy, very nice guys, uh, called Michel. And he said, wait a minute. I will call a teacher, a math teacher. He went to the school principal and 
pursued him to give me a chance. And the school principal uh, called me and said, okay, I will give you a chance, but remember, you are going to fail. Just like that? Just like that. Oof, okay. Remember <laughs> my words. I finished uh, this major with excellent uh, grades. It was a very, very hard for me. It was a very hard journey because I, I really didn't have a computer. My parents could not buy it. So how do you study computer science if you can't really work on a computer? But, uh, yeah, I have some accidents uh, uh, working uh, in the lab. <laughs> What do you mean accidents working in the lab? <laughs> so uh, we had a lot of uh, homework because um, in computer science you have a lot of homework, so uh, coding and stuff like this. And I worked till late hours. And I didn't pay attention that the school was actually was closed. What do you do? I didn't want to sleep uh, in high school. And the lab was on the second floor. I did some estimation, whether it's uh, too dangerous or no, to jump <laughs> with the technique uh, that my brother actually teached me. He taught you how to jump out of a yeah. uh, uh, second story window. And not to break legs. Okay. <laughs> okay. After that, I went to the university to learn computer science. And I, I have a BA in computer science from Barland University. Got it. So do you feel, at that point in time, did you feel like you've already met your parents' expectations or there's still more things you needed to accomplish? I think, yes. I also uh, learned MBA in uh, Tel Aviv University, mm -hmm. so second degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the expectation from mom. So I just gave you <laughs> <laughs> box ticks. Yeah, my obligations are over. <laughs> um, my commitments are over. Uh, I think uh, she is proud of us. From this perspective, I think we achieved the goals and we didn't disappoint them. That's good. Disappointing your parents, you don't want to do that. What was your first high-tech job in Israel? So my first uh, job was a programmer engineer, uh, development engineer in Converse. Converse, okay. And there was a very famous company, Converse, so I started uh, there. How long did you stay with Converse? I stayed three years, mm -hmm. and after that, my first manager there, He moved to Mercury, mm -hmm. also a very famous uh, company in Israel, and he pulled me uh, there for a very interesting job after three years. HP, another huge packet, a huge multinational company with big HQ in Israel, with an R&D center in Israel. What was your role in that? HP acquired Mercury. I was uh, working in Mercury, and HP acquired Mercury in 2006. And automatically, we became HP employees. There, mo most of the time, I was running innovations. What does that mean? So in HP, they had an innovation console that anybody could uh, come with some idea, like startup mm -hmm. in big company. Startups in big company, accelerator. Mm -hmm. And someday, very nice guy contacted me and said, I have an idea. I have an idea in PowerPoint, but I need R&D manager. If you like it, let's do it together. And he got a seat from this committee, $100,000. Mm -hmm. And we started with this money. 
And uh, actually, uh, I build the R&D department for this project. And we released this project. It was successful. And after that, I was offered another challenge, another innovation that I agreed to take it because it was very interesting. And when I uh, successfully re released the second innovation, I was offered another one because uh, I already had uh, some... Uh, perception of a manager who can release a new product. Uh, it was very challenging innovation. It was about uh, real user monitoring of mobile applications. So it's very hard to test. If you develop an, a mobile application, it's very hard to test this application on all devices and all operating systems for mobile. So I contacted Dave, CEO of Get. We worked together in Converse, the same uh, department, and we knew each other. I called him and offered to see a demo. He said, yeah, it can be very relevant, interesting. Uh, let's schedule a meeting and you will show me the demo. I showed the demo. Dave said, very impressive, interesting product. I offer you VPRND in Git. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't buy the product, he bought you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, like it's their IP. You can just okay, thank you, and download it to a floppy disk, and then move to get. <laughs> it does, it's not how it works, right? No, it's a it's a service. Okay, you cannot uh, download it. It's a service, but um, so this was very very surprising uh, offer. I didn't expect it, and uh, after some time. I thought and we talked a lot and I met people from Get and I decided to take this opportunity and join Get. It, uh, it was uh, 2016, January 2016. We keep saying Get, but there might be a few people who aren't familiar. Get used to be called Get Taxi. It's basically a ride hailing app where the drivers are actual taxi drivers. It's not people who use their own car. These are licensed cab drivers and in get uh, it's not only r&d it's also about operations so every country we had um, four countries that were operating in and every country had actually big operation department so it was ceo it was uh, people who were recruiting drivers marketing department etc etc because essentially the app is not only matching drivers with passengers, you can also, um, of course, pre-book it, but it also what does the accounting for the drivers. They get paid based on what the app shows. So if something is broken in the app, of course, they don't get paid. And it's managing supply and demand, rush hour, rain, traffic, and so on. So it's much more complicated than what it may seem. Yeah, it's a very complicated uh, domain. Marketplace on demand. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of examples of marketplace, like Airbnb, like uh, Amazon. There is a big difference between these marketplaces and what Get is doing. And the difference is on demand. Every marketplace uh, wants to optimize the revenues. And to optimize revenues, you need time. For example, in Amazon, they don't send a plane from Los Angeles to New York with parcels until it's fully utilized. So the plane is full of parcels, and only after that, they send it. So, But they have time, because when you 
book or order some item, you don't expect it that it comes in five minutes, right? No. At least two days. It can be a week. So they have time to optimize. And if you want it, you know, the day after, then you pay a premium and then it makes sense for them to ship it. Right. In uh, our marketplace, it's on demand. So when you book a ride, we should actually find a driver in seconds, minutes. And the uh, additional uh, complexity that we have, that our supply, our drivers are on move. So if some driver could be a good match for you two seconds ago, maybe now... He's he, on the highway. He's on the highway. Right. So these two things like on demand and supply on move makes it very very complex to optimize the marketplace so we need a lot of artificial intelligence there to predict stuff uh, so we actually buy a time by prediction makes sense and how long have you served at the VPRD already four and a half years so four and a half years in total with uh, with get yeah and when was it that you got promoted into CTO? It was uh, about one year ago when we uh, decided to reorganize our uh, product and R&D department. And after this reorganization, I was promoted to CTO and I got an additional role of general manager of business unit. So what's the difference between being the VP R&D and being the CTO? For people who are not from the tech world, describe to us. Uh, it's a very good question, and every company defines these roles differently. So it's much dependent on the person, on the company, of the specific situation. For me, it was uh, mostly the C-level. As a VP R&D, I managed the whole R&D organization, 200 people. And a CTO, I just uh, I'm managing a small group of people who are responsible for efficiency, productivity of the whole of all business units. And in addition, I'm a GM of one of the business units. It's a, quite a big company. When uh, uh, you build a startup, in the beginning you have very small department, R&D department, and you need the CTO of some type. When the organization is growing. You, you have to manage differently. So it cannot be the same methodologies and the same standards and the same everything. What worked for 500 people, one market company is not the same that what you need for 2,000 people, 12 markets company. Right. So it's completely different. And um, when I joined Get, it was a 70 people R&D department. It's very, very complex domain. Uh, the roadmap is endless and uh, our competitors uh, they had bigger R&D departments May 2016 we got a huge funding of 400 million dollars 400 million dollars 400 300 from Volkswagen and 100 million dollars from Sberbank and as you can imagine uh, when investors give you 400 million dollars they don't expect you doing the same we had to go to the next level and Dave uh, came to my room and said, okay, after all celebrations, I said, okay. Uh, finish your champagne. Finish your champagne. <laughs> we have some work to do. <laughs> yeah, and we have to triple the R&D. Wow. Triple R&D, so from 70 to 200. 
So it's not like tripling from 10 to 30. It's a completely different story. And when you actually scale R&D from 70 to 200, it sounds like a lot of hiring, right? To hire many people, but it's not about the hiring. It's about the change management. You are changing everything. You have to build completely different organization, completely different methodology, standards, culture, architecture, whatever you can think about. Companies can go for months trying to fill one or two R&D roles in, in, in their startups. Yeah, it was a breathtaking challenge. So 18 months to bring in 130-something engineers. It looks like 130. Actually, it's many more because when you build a different organization, there are many people which will not like this organization. They still want to work in startups, small companies, so they will leave. So you had to bring the extra headcount, but also replace the ones that says, this isn't for me, I want to go back to something smaller. Exactly. So many more than 130 people. How do you even start? Yeah, so um, honestly, I did quite a lot of mistakes. I learned from this. You should change many things. You cannot work with the same architecture. You cannot work with the same standards. You cannot work with the same culture. Uh, you cannot uh, work the same methodologies. And it's not feasible to hire so many people in one place. Even though we had very good consumer brands, we have 80% brand recognition in Israel. So 80% of people know Get or heard about Get or use it. So for us, it was even less challenging uh, task than for other companies, not well known, we're a high profile company. But anyway, it's not enough to recruit in one place. So what I decided is to open a new location for hiring in URND site. And uh, I chose Moscow for that. Why Moscow? Because I truly believe that if engineers are tightly connected to the business, the impact is much higher. And Moscow was a city you were already operating as yeah. a service. Russia was the country that we were operating. Mm. And Moscow is uh, the city with a very strong business. And I said, if they work there and they use our service, they will improve it and they will be proud of this. It's also retention. And after 28 years, I didn't visit Russia. I landed in Moscow to open the R&D site. So you left that part of the world following the, the uh, disintegration of the Soviet Union coming to Israel, becoming an Israeli <laughs> And now you're coming back from Startup Nation as the VP R&D of a company. It was very exciting. It's uh, uh, mixed feelings. Uh, Moscow is different today. It doesn't sound like the typical, you know, work trip. So my mistake was that we didn't hire an agency to build the, to, to hire people. We did it by ourselves. So we uh, were coming to Moscow with a recruiting team, preparing candidates before. For, the, for interviews. And for example, I interviewed 60 people in a week. Wow. It was very, very hard to do. And uh, for, uh, for the first time, we hired only two. So you had around three 60 candidates yeah. lined up and you hired two or three. This is how you raise the bar. This is how you raise the bar, but you had other responsibilities than just doing hiring. Hiring is the most important role 
of any manager. If you have good people, you will you you, you have chances to succeed. If you don't have good people, you you don't have chance. The first people that you recruit, they will uh, actually hire the next ones. So the, the higher the bar for the first people, the better uh, recruitment uh, will uh, be later. It's like A people bring A people, B people bring C people. So we wanted A people to bring A people. If it takes more time, it will take more time, but we will not compromise. This is a part of the culture. So we, we did retrospectives why we actually rejected so many people. And we also uh, subscribe to tools that interview offline. So the like Codility, mm -hmm. they give you some assignments and if you pass it, we start the interview. Mm, and so, you give them the assignment. Yeah. Okay. It's also reduced a lot of not relevant people, but we did mistakes and we learned from these mistakes and we improved. And this is how we build the site. And now there are 70 people on the site. How prepared was the company for that big transition of changing architecture, methodology, opening another site? You, you can't prepare for that. Yeah, you can't prepare for that. It's a classical situation when you have a startup, which is very, very successful business-wise and uh, run very fast with the business. But technology... Uh, generally is behind because you cannot catch up so quickly. The company reached some point that technology is stopping uh, the growth. Mm. And we actually had to rethink, redesign, uh, reorganize everything. And for me, it was also a huge challenge because when you manage 70 people, it's one type of manager. When you manage 200 people, it's a different uh, leader, different manager. So from managing your, your team leaders to managing the managers of the team leaders. Right, the directors. It's a different management. It's more about the communication, uh, defining the direction, standards. It's less uh, drilling down to details. It's more to trust your staff. So upgrade wow. myself personally, being a different R&D manager than I was before. What did you have to change in order to grow into those big shoes? I think it's a like major upgrade of operating system. I upgraded my internal operation system. How I think, how I uh, treat people, how I communicate. I had to uh, develop significantly my public speaking. It was very clear for me that without help, I cannot succeed. I have no time. I didn't have time. I had to change many things in parallel in very short time. Is that something you, you learned by yourself or did you hear it from uh, the Dave or one of the other uh, C-suite execs? Or... First of all, I'm a realistic guy and I can uh, look at the mirror and uh, uh, understand the gaps I have. Uh, Gay, uh, Dave also helped me a lot to understand the gaps. He's very strong in the leadership domain and he, he talked to me a lot about that. So I got feedbacks from many people, and this is how we succeeded together. How long would you say the process was from the moment you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to need to step up, until the moment you can say, I'm there, or I'm nearly there? One and a half year, at least. It's a, you know, changing your mind. It's a long-lasting process. It's not uh, something technical. 
it's changing the mind, changing their your internal myself. Okay, it's it's a, not a simple and it's very painful process. Painful. Yeah. Why painful? Because you are actually exiting your comfort zone. Previously, my comfort zone was being in the details, uh, very close to technology, to code, etc. Here, you are actually moving to another um, skill, to other skills, more soft skills, more communication, defining standards, less something that you are strong. And it's uh, you start this way, you don't know how to actually finish. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. How you finish this way. Um, so, so. And you take risks and you believe that you can do it. And uh, with this belief, you you go. Because it's also saying goodbye to a lot of behaviors that got you so far. Right. So your, uh, your, your ability to swim in the details, uh, to understand technology very, very deeply, to take chunks of work and just go and do them yourself. You know, it got you so far. But as a, as a VP R&D of a 200-people organization or as a CTO, you're not rewarded on that. You're rewarded on something else completely. And, and I think that's, that's hard, saying goodbye to the skills and tools that have served you so long. Your main goal is uh, understand, to understand the business, to translate the business to this organization, to see the whole picture. You, you cannot lose uh, uh, this picture, the whole picture, because if you lose it, you will be some suboptimal. You should always communicate updates because people will be frustrated and disengaged. You, you should keep uh, your people engaged and your staff. So it's completely different skills that you need comparing to the previous role. So it's major upgrade. And yes, it's painful because it's not the comfort zone that I had. There's another layer of complexity and that, that most people in the company are non-technological. Yeah. And you have to explain why something takes longer or something costs more or why you need more firepower. But you can't go and teach them software engineering in order to explain why you need to hire five more people. 
how do you bridge that gap now that you have to communicate at that level? You're asking very, very good question. And I'm sure every VPR&D is facing this challenge. I also face this challenge. How you explain your needs as a VPR&D to business people, financial people. And the, the trick here is that in R&D domain, many decisions or approaches are not intuitive for people who have financial background or business background. It's not intuitive, operational background. Being more efficient by producing more boxes, it's not the same like being more efficient in R&D. It's not the same approach. In the beginning, I didn't know how to, uh, what to do with that, how to meet this challenge. And I understood that I have to explain it in the same language, on the same terms that these people are actually operating. Fortunately, I learned MBA uh, with uh, investing major. So I took examples from financial world and applied them on R&D. And this way I explained the needs. And uh, another uh, approach that should be used in combination is building the trust. Step by step, I asked you this, you see the results, you now can trust me that what I'm asking, what I'm saying, it's not uh, just a stupid thing. This is the right thing to do. And another step, another step, and this is how you build the trust. Once you have this trust, it's much, much easier. So Get had gone from startup to scale-up. What had changed in the company? What changes between startup and scale-up? So when you have a company, bigger company with bigger scale, you cannot afford working without processes or clear focus communicated to all employees. Uh, you need different methodologies. For example, we adopted methodology of Google, OKRs, objective key results, and we use it to focus the whole company on the important things. It's one example of what we changed. OKRs is a management system that allows each team to work on their own projects, but to make sure that it ties into the KPIs that the company is trying to achieve, connects them to the business. Sophisticated, it gives a lot of uh, autonomy and a lot of responsibility to the teams, but also keeping everyone connected. Yeah, how you communicate what is the focus of the company and how you measure it. For the marketing team, it's to find a new proposition. For the sales team, it's to sell uh, more rides. And for the, uh, the R&D team, it'll be to build an AI engine. Yeah, but we work in the same company and we have the same company goals. So what are these goals and what is the focus? Uh, we actually can improve experience of drivers, we can improve experience of riders, we can uh, improve our profitability, we can improve our reliability of our service, we can do a lot of things, the, the spectrum is very, very wide, but CEO should say, this quarter or this year, we should focus on this, and how we actually communicate it to the whole company, and every department after these goals should derive their goals, to support the company goals. So how you communicate it? And uh, you cannot just send emails and you cannot just uh, do podcasts or something like this describing uh, the goals of the company. So you have a methodology, uh, you adopt it, and this is how you uh, drive the focus in the company and the alignment between all departments 
to achieve the same goal of the, of the company goal. And uh, this is what we did. Uh, we took it from Google, this uh, methodology, OKRs, and we adopted. So almost five years with uh, Get, 30 years into your Israeli journey, we are here to tell the story of the Israeli innovation ecosystem. We couldn't have told that story if it wasn't for the perspective you brought with you. Israel would have been a very different country if it wasn't for the migration from the Soviet Union back in the 90s. Hypothetically, if I'm to ask you, what was the contribution that those million and a half folks brought or made to the Israeli society? What would you say? Again, it's what-if scenario. Yeah, what would happen if this one uh, half million wouldn't come? But I think uh, I have a strong feeling that the contribution was huge because uh, these people are highly qualified and educated and they have uh, standards of excellence. Okay, Uh, no compromises. You should be excellent. This is how we taught in in Soviet Union. to survive, you should be the best because you are a Jew. And in this state of mind, uh, these people came to Israel. And I think uh, there are many good engineers uh, who work in high-tech industry and contributed a lot. It's not only engineers, you see many uh, managers as well. It's a significant contribution. So this is what you brought with you. What did you get from Israel? I think I got a home I'm comfortable to live in. Amazing family. I met my wife here. She's from Moscow, by the way. Here people meet uh, from the whole Soviet Union, something (laughs) that couldn't happen before because the country is huge. Now you you have all these people in a very small place. I have a very good job. I love it. So this country actually gave me chance to fulfill my dreams i'm still growing so it's not the end of the story i hope and i love this country i love these people i love these vibes i love uh, celebration every day you live like a last day because you cannot know what's going what can happen tomorrow and this state of mind uh, I, I i it resonates i think I have a message for all people who listen to me. They have doubts what to do in their life or their startups. Uh, I think uh, the whole message that I want to tell you, if I would listen to all people who said me no or who wanted me to change my passion or including my parents, by the way, I wouldn't be sitting here and I wouldn't work for all these amazing companies that I work for and working now, and I wouldn't meet all these amazing people that I hum- I'm humbled and honored to work with. So follow your passion, never get no, and uh, do what you think you should do. You just should find a way and you should find cracks in the wall how you pass through this. And uh, I think Israeli people, and this is exactly what I like also in Israeli people, they are great in this, to find the cracks and make it happen. And uh, actually what makes us bad drivers make us (laughs) great engineers.
<laughs> Boris, this is a fantastic note to end on. I can't thank you enough for coming here on your birthday to spend two hours with us. I love your journey and everything that uh, it taught you, and I admire your ability to share that and talk about that in such an articulate and open way. I can't wait to see where you are 20 and 30 years from now. Thank you so, so much for coming and Mazalto. And thank you very much for inviting me. It was uh, very interesting uh, for me also to share my experience and my thoughts. And uh, thanks for the cake. It's really, <laughs> it's really amazing. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. <laughs> Let's eat it now. Todaraba. Todaraba. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.